Welcome to Campfire Chronicles episode 21. This is Andrew speaking. And uh, today we have a little something different. Basically, I wanted to start having guests onto the podcast because I figured after like 20 episodes, uh, you all might get a little bit sick of hearing the four of us ramble on uh, about whatever. And maybe you don't. But either way, I'm hoping to start having guests occasionally on um, our podcast just to change things up and to hear different perspectives of people who enjoy nature or relate to to the wilderness somehow. So today we have Becca Pollard, uh, who is a founding member of Keep Wayne Wild, which is an organization in Ohio that's concerned with how natural gas extraction might affect the environment um, in Wayne National Forest. And I mean, I think this is something that a lot of us can relate to as outdoors enthusiasts and backpackers and whatever we may be. Um, cause you don't want to go to a forest and find that like biodiversity has decreased or that the environment has been wrecked or that the water's not clean anymore. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation and hopefully, uh, we can have more guests on with more interesting stories and perspectives before we get into it. Remember to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash adventure. Uh, you can sign up and support our channel join a community where we're posting lots of uh, weekly live streams, weekly updates. Uh, You get early access to all the episodes and behind the scenes content like bloopers and commentary for all the episodes. So yeah, um, sign up there. Thank you for listening. And without further ado, here's the conversation. So yeah, I guess I'm curious like how you got into Keep Wayne Wild to begin with. Um, well, I grew up in central Ohio, and I actually never went to the Wayne National Forest growing up. I did visit other hiking areas, other natural areas around the state, including some in southeastern Ohio, like Hawking Hills, obviously. Um, but I didn't even know we had a national forest growing up here. For sure. Yeah. Um, but in 2004, I moved to Oregon. And I lived out there for 12 years, and there are a lot of really amazing forests out like, there. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people would be jealous <laughs> Yeah, anyone who lives out there. But. Yeah, so I guess that kind of um, just kind of opened my eyes to the value of living near old growth forests, like, you know, expansive, healthy forests where there's a lot of recreation areas and a lot of wildlife and, you know, places where you can hike for a long time without seeing a road or you know, hearing traffic or being around industry. So um, I think that helped me to really gain an appreciation for what national forests can be like. Um, And then I moved back here a little over a year ago, and right when I moved back, I heard the announcement that the Bureau of Land Management was planning to auction off Wayne National Forest for gas and oil development. For sure. Um, and specifically for unconventional fracking, because um, they've been they've been doing vertical drilling in yeah, the Wayne for a long time, or, yeah, which okay. is much more invasive and mm-hmm. takes a lot more resources. So um, I was pretty concerned when I heard about that. Um, and so, I mean, the first thing I did was I just drove down there and took a hike. I was just like, I want to go see what this place is about, and for I was sure. like, you know, this. You hadn't been down there before, or anything. Or? No, I had. I'd been kind of to that area, but I hadn't been in the Wayne before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of went down and I was like, yeah, this is 
pretty and it's a natural area and there's not very much of this around here and we should really protect what we've got. Um, so I went to an informational meeting here in Columbus. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe last January. Okay. And through that meeting I got in touch with some other local people who were really concerned about the same issue and we started Keep Wayne Wild. That's awesome. Okay. So the group is like about a year old now? or Yeah. I, I think we, some people were already like doing some like petitioning and things before then, but um, I think we kind of formally became a group and started a website and all that stuff in February of last year. Okay, sweet. Um, well, before we get into all that, I'm curious if you like, do you, I mean, when you were in Oregon, did you do any like backpacking or camping? Or yeah, like quite yeah. a bit. Um, I, and they have, there are like, I think 11 national forests in Oregon. Um, and so I visited a lot of them and also some in Washington. Um, Gifford Pinchot National Forest in southern Washington is probably my favorite. I went backpacking there quite a few times. Um, is that where like the like the rainforests and stuff are? The There's a tropi- lot of um, subtropical rainforests in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think most of them in that region, like the western Washington and Oregon area, are technically rainforests. Okay. Like they're, you know, they're like really big trees and <laughs> lots of ferns. And I, I knew someone who lived out in like the Cave Junction area. I don't know if you're familiar mm. with that, but I don't think so. I forget where exactly it is, but they were a park ranger in that area for a oh, while. Cool. But did a lot of caving. But. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of caves, especially in Washington. Um, like. In the Gifford Pinchot area, like that's the same area where Mount St. Helens is. Yeah. And um, I think there's there's a big park called Ape Caves there that's pretty popular, but there are also a lot of lesser known caves that people like to go explore. That's cool. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess getting back on the whole fracking thing, like you said, you grew up in Ohio. Was mm-hmm. it in these sort of Appalachian areas where there's a lot of this is happening? No, I, I grew up in central Ohio. Oh, okay. so, like around um, here. so I wasn't too familiar with that area. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had been down to Hocking Hills and some other places in southern Ohio, but I had never spent a ton of time in Appalachian Ohio before. I'd been to other parts of Appalachia. My mom's originally from North Carolina, so we went down to that area okay. quite a bit when I was a kid. But So has yeah. been, like, participating in the group, has that made you sort of, I don't know, gain an understanding? gain familiarity with the communities that are dealing with this from day to day? Yeah. And like, what, what are their opinions, I guess? Because I, I feel like there's... Well, it's, it's really mixed. Yeah. Um, yeah. We do have chapters of Keep Wayne Wild in Marietta and Athens, mm-hmm. um, and we've got um, a small group of folks in Monroe County, which is the county where the majority of the parcels of the National Forest okay. that are being leased are. Um, and... Do you know which... Because there's like three chunks of land. Yeah, so that? it's the Marietta unit that okay. is currently being leased okay. by the Bureau of Land Management. There are other threats yeah. being posed to the other parts as well. Like the Ironton unit in particular, something to watch out for is the Buckeye Express pipeline, okay. which I believe is currently in the process of getting permitted by FERC. Um, so that's something we're keeping an eye on. For sure. um, but yeah, the the fracking leases are happening in the Marietta unit, which is along the Ohio River right by West Virginia. Okay. Uh, so I guess, 
I mean, when when this fracking happens, like, has any already happened, or are they still so facing the So there's land? a lot of fracking happening in the area, mm -hmm. and it's kind of a complex issue because the way National Forest is a patchwork of public and private land. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of privately owned land that has already been fracked inside okay. of that boundary. So the public land is being leased a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. There are currently 60,000 acres that are part of what they've been considering for lease. Mm -hmm. um, they've, they've leased about 2,000 acres so far. There's another auction coming up on the 22nd of March okay. um, for another, I think, 300 or so acres. Um, but so far, no fracking has happened under the public land, mm -hmm. but... Under as in, like... Even if it's yeah, so the the pads, as far as I know, this is what I've been told, anyways. Yeah. The pads are all going to be on private land. Okay, we don't know this for sure, but this is at least what the messaging has been. Mm -hmm. um, but they drill under the public land okay. because basically it's like the mineral rights that are being auctioned right. off. Um, I can't. Did I answer your question? I can't. Remember. No. Yeah. Totally. And I'm I'm also kind of curious if. Uh, like, I mean, it sounds like they do this, but when, when they are trying to buy land to do fracking on the forest, mm -hmm. like, it seems like they try to avoid places that would be more in the public eye. Like, I mean, is that accurate or? Yeah, I think that is accurate. I think, you know, they kind of treat that area like a sacrifice zone, mm -hmm. you know, and this kind of thing happens to communities in the mm -hmm. area. Um, but, you know, it's a place where there isn't a large population. There isn't going to be as much pushback if mm -hmm. they do something there where it's kind of out of sight from city folks like us. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas in the Athens unit, which is a little closer to Columbus and it's a college town and, you know, yeah, yeah. has, you know, a little bit more, it's a little bit more known to the outdoors folks. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, that's a more protected area and when they try to do stuff there, there's a lot more pushback from the community. Um, so, you know, they do things like they've got a new bike trail that they're putting in in the Athens unit, and they keep messaging that. Like, they post about that on their Facebook all the time. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Way National Forest yeah, yeah. Um, Facebook page. Um, but they never mention the leasing. And um, they also don't mention opportunities for public input, which I think is pretty frustrating. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know how much like interaction you've had with communities down there, but in your experience, are like, do you notice a pattern? Like, people who use the forest more are they usually more against this, or? Um, I think it's a little more complicated in that area because a lot of people who do love and use the forest, you know, they still live in a community where a lot of people are employed by gas and oil and where gas and oil owns a lot of things and gives a lot of money to a lot of local programs. Um, so I think people don't yep. feel comfortable being as outspoken as they might in other areas like Columbus and Athens. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly there are people who are very concerned and very against it. Even some who have friends and family who work for gas and oil. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's maybe something that they would speak about differently than people would in other areas, but there are a lot of people who aren't afraid to stand up and say, hey, this is the National Forest, this is not where we should be doing this. Like, even if they're not necessarily against fracking per se, a lot of people in the area feel yeah. that we should be... At least protecting the National yeah. Forest. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it is a really important issue because, mm -hmm. you know, Ohio used to be 90% forest and, you know, yeah. we depleted that to, I think, something like 10% about a hundred years ago and you know like there's been 14. some reforestation yeah. i think it might even be as high as like 30 percent now oh, okay. but most of it's privately owned mm -hmm. um so you know we we rank really low both in terms of forested area and public land in ohio mm -hmm. um so you know this is an important humans human rights issue um in terms of access to natural areas in terms of air quality and water quality mm -hmm and globally in terms of climate change. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I feel like there's so many different tiers. Like, yeah. I mean, for one, just growing up as a kid in Ohio, mm -hmm. I for the longest time, I thought there was just really nowhere to go to like, I mean, backpacking and camping is like my main hobby. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there's a book called like Last Child in the Woods. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've read it, but no. it's basically arguing that like children who spend time in nature grow up healthier mm -hmm. and also, you know, grow up to appreciate nature more. Yeah. So there's like that aspect, but obviously there's also the whole global aspect. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's interesting to me that, like, I, I feel like I would be worried as someone from Columbus, like, going into these communities mm -hmm. that I'd be perceived as, like, an outsider trying to, like, tell them what to do, but... Oh, yeah, I mean, it, I, you know, I, we definitely try to be mindful when we go into those communities, and, you know, it's not, like, just people from Columbus going in there, like, we have, you know, founding members of our organization who are from... Yeah. Marietta, for example. For sure. um, so, you know, those are people who grew up in the area and grew up hiking in the Wayne and, you know, want to work with people from around the state and around the region and really anywhere who are concerned about the issue so that mm -hmm. we can try to protect what they love, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I guess, like, I mean, have you or has anyone brought up, like, the sorts of impacts that Bracken has already had on these areas? Like, both in terms of just recreation, but also just mm -hmm. in general, like how, how it impacts the community or the mm -hmm. environment. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many ways that it impacts the area, both culturally and in terms of public health mm -hmm. and the environment. Um, I mean, just in the last month or so, there have been two natural gas explosions in Southeast Ohio. Um, and fortunately, no one was hurt in either of those, mm -hmm. but you know, that still contaminates the air. So, yeah. you know, that impacts people who live near there. And, you know, it didn't get much news coverage, unfortunately. And that's another big issue is because it's not a big population center. Yeah. These things often go ignored. I mean, a lot of these places are already, like, kind of marginalized regions, like mm -hmm. like Appalachian towns. Just, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one other thing I was thinking about is, like, we, we've gone backpacking in Wayne National mm -hmm. Forest. and. I noticed that after it rained, the water turned like really orange, and I've heard that there's a lot of history with like Mining. coal extraction. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the uh, water is almost, I don't know, permanently, but just like it's pretty much yeah, and undrinkable. Yeah, that's definitely true, and it's really unfortunate because, yeah, after living in Oregon and backpacking there yeah. and then coming back here, I'm like, wow, I have to carry all my own water because you're not supposed to drink the water yeah. in the Wayne. Even through a filter, it's mm -hmm. cause Yeah, because you can't filter out all the contaminants. Um, and I know that there have been some efforts from local groups to do restorations. Um, I'm not sure how successful they've been, but I know um, Rural Action is one group that has been working on that, I think in the Athens unit of the Wayne National Forest. Um, and I don't know if it's quite as bad in the Marietta unit, but I know that the Wayne National Forest website does say that you should not drink the water there. Okay. 
See, I, I made a mistake because we did filter some of the water. Uh -huh. and, well, hopefully one time yeah, won't like... Well, I did the first time I back yeah. there, too. <laughs> it was out of a small creek that looked pretty good, but yeah, it's hard sure. to know. Yeah. Um, so I was reading that there's also a chance that this might open up in state parks in Ohio. Is that true? Or? Yeah, and I apologize. I haven't been following no, that terribly yeah. closely lately. Um, but, yeah, it, my understanding is that back in, I want to say, 2012... Um, a committee was created mm -hmm. to make decisions about leasing public land, public state land, um, but uh, Governor Kasich has never appointed anyone to the committee. So, like, by his inaction, he has, in a sense, been preventing it from happening. Okay. But um, last year, the state legislature uh, proposed, I think, yeah, I think they proposed a bill to take that right away from him so that they could uh. appoint people to the committee instead. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe he vetoed it and they overturned his veto. Um, and I can't remember exactly where that is now, okay. but that's definitely a good thing to follow up on. For sure, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely... A major issue for public land, both state and yeah. federal. Um, I mean, so like, how would you argue to someone that that, that they should care about this? Because I feel like when you look at outdoor recreation, you have mm -hmm. people from all sorts of different as like areas of the political spectrum, mm -hmm. and people who have like different relationships with nature and stuff sure. like that, and and I guess like. Is there anything you've learned talking to people from these communities that you think people should be aware of uh, if they're like hesitant to yeah, you know, yeah. speaking out against this? Um, well, I think it's important to consider that you know, for a lot of people, this is basically their backyard. Um, mm. What happens there impacts their community. It impacts people's water. You know the the streams and rivers that run through the Wayne National Forest flow into the Ohio River, mm. which is something like five million people's drinking water, including yeah. the city of Cincinnati. Mm. So people in Cincinnati should be concerned about that. For sure. Um, you know, um, a lot of people who live in the area, you know, they don't just use it for recreation, you know, for hiking and camping and whatnot, but they also do things like forage edible plants and mushrooms there. They hunt there. They teach their children to hunt there, and that's, you know, part of their culture. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, I know a local hunter who lives in the town of Sardis, um, which is a, a town of, like, 600 people on the Ohio River mm -hmm. right by the way National Forest. And um, he's been hunting there since the 70s, and he taught his daughter to hunt in the Wayne. And, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, he's really passionate about protecting this area because, you know, that's what he and his family do to, you know, get away and yeah. for recreation and, you know, it's... I mean, I've even met people who, like, subsist off of hunting and that's just, yeah. like, their lifestyle. Right, and it's true for a lot of people. And I know there have been cases of deer either getting sick from fracking fluid or, like, mm. being hit by cars when... Because, I mean, do they still pour the fracking fluid on the on the roads sometimes? Cause um, I know that they do in some places. Okay. I don't 
think they do in Ohio currently. Okay. They definitely don't in Columbus right mm-hmm. now, but I know that there's been some push to start doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if they do it anywhere in Ohio. Okay. But obviously it's a potential threat, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah it definitely is. I mean, the fracking fluid is extremely harmful to vegetation and animals and um, I mean there's a an experimental forest in the Monongahela National Forest okay. in West Virginia where I just went there like last weekend oh cool yeah yeah this, this so this area is it's called Fernow Experimental Forest I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right but mm-hmm. a few years ago they actually did a study on how vegetation is impacted by frack waste okay and there were a ton of tree deaths where in the area where they experimented Jeez. with it. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, there's not enough data to apply what we saw here to any other forests. But it's like, okay, certainly there's enough yeah. to say, let's do more studies. Let's yeah, yeah. look at how this really impacts things before we allow it to happen in other places, especially someplace that's only about 100 miles away, and it's the same type of forest. Yeah, I found that, um, like, a lot of times... I mean, the nature of science is that you're trying to disprove things. You can't mm-hmm. 100% prove anything. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when it comes to these sorts of environmental issues, the default for a lot of like politicians is just to take inaction because there's no like definitive link or something. Um, and it's, it's kind of frustrating. I also feel like, just in general, these sorts of things are... Like, they feel kind of nebulous sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. you were talking earlier about how... Cincinnati's drinking water could be affected Mm -hmm. but that just seems so distant for like somebody living in Cincinnati and I I feel like a lot of people don't often think of these things in these like sort of systemic ways Mm -hmm. but I also feel like I don't know like you have to bring it up but also I feel like sometimes people connect to these issues the most when you're talking about how they relate to the forest Mm -hmm. like how they're enjoying it with recreation or whatever right right (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh... Yeah, and another another thing about the Marietta unit, um, for people who like to do things like camping and backpacking, it's worth mentioning that the Marietta unit is the only unit of the Wayne that doesn't have any ATV trails. Oh, okay. Um, so if you're trying to go someplace that's a little quieter mm-hmm. and, you know, where there's less of that sort of disruption, mm-hmm. then, like, that's a really great place to go. Um, also, is this off the top of your head? Do you know if this is where Lake Vesuvius is? Uh, Lake Vesuvius is actually in the Ironton unit. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Um, is this where Wildcat? Hollow? Wildcat Hollow is in the Athens unit. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, the, I mean, most of the better known places in the Wayne are not in the Marietta mm-hmm. unit, but um, there are a few great ones like Archer's Fork Trail. Oh, okay. um, that's I think it's like a twelve or fourteen mile loop, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely beautiful. It's a great backpacking area. Awesome. Um, there's also a really great recreation area called Lamping Homestead, mm-hmm. um, and it's there's a little lake with six campsites around it, and there's a hiking loop attached to it. Okay. Um, and that's a really beautiful area mm-hmm. um, that's actually inside one of the parcels that could potentially be leased for fracking. Okay. So, uh, are they focusing mostly on Marietta? Do you think because there are like less well-known areas or is that more of a geological issue like there's shale under there um i i don't know if i can speak definitively to that like um i don't know exactly what the composition is but it certainly is the area where they're going to get the least pushback because 
it's a little bit further away from population centers and there's already so much gas and oil development in the area. Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, I mean, have you, have you seen a change in people's attitudes in general? Like, do you think this is an issue that's gotten more or less attention in the last couple of years? Because um, I... I just moved back to Ohio a little over a year ago, okay, yeah, so um, it was pretty off my radar prior to that. Um, but, you know, I have to say I see a lot of people becoming more and more concerned about climate change yeah, and yeah. about the loss of natural areas. So I think that, you know, it's definitely a growing movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are people working on these issues all over the region, all over the country, and all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, the more we can connect with the other groups working on these issues and learn from each other and support each other's work, the better off we'll all be. For sure. Yeah, I, I get the sense that, like, I mean, this is just my own personal perspective, mm -hmm. but I feel like for a while there was a lot of activity and discussion about this issue, and then it kind of dropped off for a while. And now it seems like there's so many different things people are talking about that it's hard to, like, focus mm -hmm. in on one thing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a tough one. I mean, you know, there's so many important things people are fighting for right now. I think, you know, that there can be kind of a lot of competition yeah, for yeah. space to talk about things. But, you know, I think we also have to look at the interconnectedness between all of these issues mm -hmm. because, you know, it is a human rights issue. It's, you know, an issue of economic disparity and it's an issue of pollution and you know air quality and water quality and public health and um, you know the the rights of the endangered species and you know, I think it's it's pretty complex and then you know you also have to look at the economic issues in terms of you know there's it's gas and oil is kind of promoted as this savior that's going to come in and bring all these right. jobs right. to these poor communities but and even the leases are often like seen as this big economic boom. Mm -hmm. Like you get a lot of money for leasing your land. Well, there's there's some money yeah. that goes to schools and things, but it's really not a ton of money. Okay. It just might kind of sound like right. a lot if you're in an area that's pretty poor. Mm -hmm. But it's you know the leasing of the national forest is not going to pull Appalachian Ohio right out of poverty it's not you know it's not a long-term solution yeah um, and, you know these are temporary jobs for the most part and a lot of the workers are out of state you know they bring in truckers from all over the country and you know most of these companies are owned by people out of state you know you have a lot of like Texas based companies coming in and they're making money off of our resources and you know one of the biggest issues is um, that they can actually pull the water from our rivers and streams mm. for fracking and it takes millions of gallons of water to frack a well. Mm -hmm. They don't have to pay for that water. So they're, you know, decimating these natural areas at no cost to them. Yeah, what is the effect of that? Just I mean, I imagine any sort of water drilling species is gonna Yeah, and you know, it's not something I've done a ton of research right, on right. specifically no, but yeah. um but certainly if you're taking water out of these aquatic habitats, you're going to impact the species there. And, you know, there is a lot of wildlife that lives in that area. I mean, 
certainly a lot of the water is contaminated, but there are actually some high quality waterways in the Wayne as well. Okay. Um, and you know there are salamanders and mussels and fish and a lot of other things that I don't know about because I'm not a biologist. No, for but, sure. <laughs> um, but but I mean I think in general there's an understanding that like all of these things are connected and eventually right. it'll come back and bite us. Absolutely. In the back. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you you were talking about how these aren't temporary or these aren't permanent or like long term solutions. Like, do you do you know more about that? Like, when they when they do open up a new pad or something, I mean, how many people get employed and for how long? I don't have statistics on right. that, but you know, it's just a matter of the fact that these are not renewable resources. Yeah. You know, you frack a well and you get gas out of it um but you know then you frack it again you get less the next time and you know eventually it runs out and then you know you eventually run out of the material so and i imagine the the impact it would have would also like potentially do more harm than good yeah <laughs> i mean it certainly hurts property values um and i actually know a woman who taught biology in Monroe County, Ohio for 30 years. She owns a home there and was planning to retire there. She has decided she's not going to stay there. She's going to move back to Columbus where she grew up because she doesn't want to be in the middle of a frack zone. She says, you know, when she's there, she can't even sleep at night because there's so much noise from the trucks. Wow. So So it's almost like a brain drain sort of issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. Uh, well, I mean, so like, what's what is the solution for these communities? I guess because I mean, I think a lot of people in those communities do see this as like mm-hmm. this economic boon, uh, and it's hard to like look into the long term when you're already living in an impoverished right, area. Right, so, and you like, know, I I definitely think that that's a challenging issue to address, and um, I don't have all the solutions, but. I think we need to think more long-term than just, you know, this is going to provide some jobs right now. I think we have to think about, you know, how is this going to impact the health of your community? You know, how long can you even live there? How bad is it going to get? Aren't you worried about your water being contaminated? Aren't you worried about another pipeline explosion? Um, You know, what's that like for your kids? Um, And, you know... We certainly have other options for jobs. Mm-hmm. We just need to get there. You know, yeah. like um, there's more job growth in solar than in any other energy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know we just need people in positions of power to make that a priority. Sure. Because right now, you know, gas and oil is being subsidized so much. You know, it's a lot easier for them to create high-paying jobs. But if we can, you know, get everyone in alignment on focusing on what's really good for the future of our country and for the world, I think that we can get to where those renewable jobs will pay more and be more abundant. And, you know, I know that there is a lot of movement, even in Appalachia, to bring more solar to the area. I know that there are some solar co-ops down there. um, And, you know, if if you go down to Athens, like, You'll see all the solar panels on the recreation center there. Um, there are a number of businesses that are, you know, trying to move in that direction. It's just, mm-hmm. sure. it's just taken a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
trying to think. Like, <laughs> it's like I was thinking about how a lot of the initial, like the birth of the environmental movement, like hundreds of years ago, it, a lot of it had to do with people who are hunting animals and like not what we usually associate with environmentalists today. So I'm mm. I'm hoping that like people in these communities who are really connected to the land will also start. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of them already are. That's kind of like, mm-hmm. uh, pretentious of me to say that, but mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what we perceive as being, you know, the traditional environmentalist, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I think we have to get past that because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't matter whether someone calls himself an environmentalist or not, or, you know, whether, you know, whether they're a vegan or someone who, hunts all the time and eats deer meat, you know, I think um, we really need to look at the impacts of ruining our environment and how that impacts everyone, so we need to consider what we're losing and that that impacts you whether you're an environmentalist or not, mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it's not really... I think it's becoming less of a cultural divide between necessarily like the yeah. hippies yeah. and... <laughs> I was going to ask that, like, have you noticed, uh, like, I mean, obviously there's historical tensions between like blue collar fossil fuel workers and like environmentalists, but there there have also been lots of moments where they've come together mm-hmm. and like, you know, fought together for the health of the communities. Have you noticed a lot of that happening here or? Um, I mean... I certainly see it happening some. There certainly are hunters and fishermen and, you know, a lot of people who are from the Appalachian area and, you know, not people who you would see and think that person looks like an environmentalist, but who really are becoming really concerned with these issues. People who, you know, live in places like Sardis, Ohio, who are really concerned about climate change and are thinking about putting solar panels on their houses. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people, despite all the propaganda that's out there to tell them otherwise, are starting to see that this is an issue that's going to impact all of us and it's going to impact their children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I found that, I mean, I feel like it, this whole push to protect these wild areas would be stronger or will be stronger once, you know, different groups with different backgrounds come together and I, I found that like when, when communities who are from completely different backgrounds work together they mm-hmm. they learn to overcome their differences and sure, sure. work in solidarity with each other I guess yeah yeah I think you know it's really important to find commonalities and work with people who aren't necessarily coming from the same place you are yeah. but you know want the same thing in the end and sure. you know I think um we have to be mindful of how, you know, our backgrounds and our different privileges might shape what we think of as being an environmentalist and, you know, understand where other people are coming from, you know, not everyone can afford to necessarily like buy the most eco-friendly products all the time or put solar panels on their house but you know there are a lot of people who are you know doing what they can within their means and I think we also need to get away from looking so much at you know um, conscious consumerism as the solution I think you know there what we really need to do is 
hold these companies that are destroying our environment accountable and hold our yeah. politicians accountable. I think, you know, we need to take the emphasis off, you know, shaming people for, you know, not living up to this Absolutely. standard of what we consider to be eco-friendly and be more inclusive. Yeah, I think that's a lot of, I mean, whether it's a, whether it's a valid sort of assumption or not, I feel like that's where a lot of people's frustrations come when it comes with, like, environmental movement as a whole. Is there's this impression, whether or not it's true, that, like, it's just people looking down on other people, telling them that they're not, like, acting in the right way. And I feel like so often we focus too much on individual actions right. instead of, like, the broader... I mean, even among, like... So just to bring it back to, like, collab or recreation thing, like, there's... Mm-hmm. If you said that a hiker shouldn't pollute in the forest or litter, that's a completely uncontroversial statement. But when you talk about what a company should do in a forest and how what their impact should be, suddenly there's controversy. Right. And it's I think a lot of that comes from this focus on like individuality and mm-hmm. individual actions. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it, like it's. It's obviously still a problem when, when someone litters and it's like annoying to find trash in a fire pit when you're camping, but it's also like if somebody breaks a few rules here and there, that impact is so much smaller than right. what this could be. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And, you know, I think part of that is that it's just easier to point a finger at a powerless individual than at, you know, a big multinational corporation. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And I also sometimes wonder if some of these divisions are like brought about in order to prevent any like meaningful action from happening. And I think that's I yeah. think that's very yeah. <laughs> astute. <laughs> For sure. um, well, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think you had mentioned before that there was some recent news, or yeah, yeah. So. Um, so this leasing has been going on for a while, and um, one of the biggest concerns about it is that the Wayne National Forest Resource Management Plan is outdated, that it does not take into consideration the impacts of unconventional fracking because it was created with only vertical fracking in mind. and. Um, the U.S. Forest Service has just announced that they are going to update the forest oh, really? plan. Okay. So that's actually a really big deal because it could go either way. It could, you know, turn into fewer protections for only national forest. But if there's enough public engagement, mm-hmm. it could go our way. It could go towards more protection. It could be, you know... I mean, I don't think it's likely, but it could be no leasing for fracking at all. It could be, you know, less logging. It could be, you know, more, I don't know, maybe even like designations of more future old forest areas, things like that. Things where, you know, we're looking into the future and saying we want this area to be here for future generations and we want it to be better than it is now. Before we get more into that, out of curiosity, like, do you... What are your impressions of um, people's attitudes within the the Forest Service? Like, I, I feel like it could go either way, and I my assumption is that like forest rangers or people who are working for them might be more sympathetic to trying to keep fracking out, but people higher up might 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, don't know if that's I, or not, but. I haven't pressed anyone okay, yeah. who I've spoken to at the office mm-hmm. for their opinion. You know, yeah. that in in my experience, the you know the people who answer the phone at the Wayne National Forest headquarters are very pleasant and friendly and right, helpful. Yeah. Um, but the forest supervisor Tony Scardina, who I've not met personally, but mm-hmm. he you know, has been pretty supportive of oh. the leasing. So um, that's an area of frustration. Yeah, you know, yeah. we'd like to see someone who, you know, has, like, you know, the, the U.S. Forest Service mm-hmm. um, has a motto, um, care for the land, serve the people. Right. And we feel very strongly that that's not what they're doing right, right now. Right. So, um, you know, it's frustrating to see things like Tony Scardina writing mm-hmm. op-eds in the Columbus Dispatch about how this is good for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the regional forester in Milwaukee for the Eastern States Division mm-hmm. um, could stop this. Um, her name's Kathleen Atkinson, and um, we have her phone number on our website if anyone would like to give her a call, <laughs> perhaps on the 22nd when the next auction is happening and let her know that you know this is not what people want this isn't what we want done with our forest and we you know are frustrated that the u.s forest service isn't doing more to protect the area well i mean that brings a good a good point which is how how can people get involved you mentioned calling her on the 22nd yeah. Um, yeah, what else? Um, well, the first public meeting mm-hmm. about the forest management plan update is on the 21st, the day before the auction, and it's being held at the Canal, Ch- Canal Winchester Community Center from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. So I strongly encourage anyone who's concerned about this issue, whether you have something to say or you just want to learn more about what's happening, please show up to that meeting if you can because... You know, the more people come and participate, the more likely it is that we'll be able to make positive changes happen. Um, I would also encourage people to get involved in other ways if they can. Um, on April 14th, we are having a bio blitz in the Marietta and Avoy National Forest. Um, we strongly encourage people to come out and participate. Is, if is that where they? What, what is that exactly like? Um, so we are actually working with hmm. the. Um, Evolution and Ecology Grad Students Club at Ohio State. Okay. Um, and we are going to get a bunch of people, a bunch of, you know, people who are experts on identifying species, but also just a bunch of people from the community who want to go out and enjoy the forest and learn more about the natural areas mm-hmm. um, to go out. And there's an app called iNaturalist. It's a free app that you oh, can I've download. Yeah. yeah, it's actually really cool. You can just take photos of what whatever you see, you know, be it a mushroom or a squirrel or a bird or a tree, Mm -hmm. um, you upload the photo and the app will actually make suggestions about what the species is, um, but you can leave it blank and wait for someone with more expertise to identify it, or you can kind of take a guess and then someone will either like confirm what it is or be like, no, it's actually this. Mm -hmm. Um, And once it gets enough data, enough people saying that it's a certain thing, it will be considered a research-grade identification. Okay. Um, and so, you know, it's a way for more people to get out and learn more about the wildlife in the area, but it's also a way to possibly come away with some data that will be useful, because right now the U.S. Forest Service is saying that there are no endangered species in the Marietta Unit of the Wayne National Forest, okay. <laughs> and a lot of people think that that's probably not actually true, and that there's just no one looking for them. Mm-hmm. So. 
know, it would be pretty great if we did come away with evidence that there are some there. And are they also trying to see how these species will be impacted, like, or how, how they are being impacted by any sort of...? Um, I mean, we, right now we're just kind of looking for what species are present, but, you know, we certainly are working with other groups who have information about how they have been and can be impacted in the future by these activities. Okay. That's really cool. No, I mean, I, I love, like, identifying wild mushrooms mm -hmm. and stuff, so... Yeah, well, you should come out. Yeah. When is that again? April 14th. Okay. Yeah, and we're meeting at Leith Run, and that's one of the bigger recreation areas in the Marietta unit. It's right off of Route 7 mm -hmm. near New Matamoros. Okay. Um, so what about, like, people outside of Ohio? I mean, I know there's, like, certain states that are dealing with similar um, issues. Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah. for sure. Colorado, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, if if someone isn't from the state, what would you suggest they do? Or? Well, um, every time there's an auction, there's a protest period for it. So anyone who's concerned about protecting the Wayne National Forest from these leases can write a letter to the Bureau of Land Management protesting the auction. Mm -hmm. um, the protest period just ended for the upcoming auction, but these auctions are held quarterly, so there will likely be another one in June, and one in September, and one in December. Um, so it's usually two months before the auction date, a protest period begins, and it lasts for about a month. Um, so during that period, people can either mail or fax a letter explaining why they believe this shouldn't go forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, you know, one of, that's like an actual official mm -hmm. option for people to give feedback to the Bureau of Land Management about these leases. It's like an actual um, thing that the state... Yeah, that the, yeah, that the Bureau of Land Management yes. federally, yeah. Um, but, you know, you can certainly contact them even if it's not a protest period. You can contact... Mm -hmm. You know, the Eastern States Division of the Area of Land Management, you can contact the Eastern States Division of the U.S. Forest Service, you can contact the Way National Forest Headquarters in Nelsonville, um, you can contact your legislators, um, Sherrod Brown, for example, you know, I think that if he heard from more people... He, he sort of is, like, on the fence about this, right? Cause he has not taken a stand. Um, which I do find a little frustrating. Yeah. Um, I imagine, I wonder if that's because he tries to, like, support workers and he sees Yeah, that and, you know, I think that that is a part of it. I mean, you know, as long as people are looking at this as something that's going to come and save them, I mm -hmm. think, you know, they might not vote for someone who is right. against it. But, you know, I think it's really the job of our politicians to lead this discussion. I think that, you know, they need to be the ones getting out there and showing people that we have other options. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it can't just be, you know, fear of something being unpopular. We'll never get anywhere that way. For sure. Um, well, uh, do you have any final thoughts before we end? Or? Oh, you're fine. <laughs> um, well, I just really hope that more people will consider getting involved. Um, we have a website, it's keepwindwild.com. Um, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So, you know, I strongly encourage people to reach out if they're interested in getting involved. We're always looking for more volunteers. If people would like to buy a t-shirt, we do have t-shirts. They look like this. Um, and you can also make donations through the PayPal on our website. 
Um, so, you know, we really appreciate any support people can give us, whether it's just showing up to events or making a phone call or making a donation, you know, anything people can do to keep this moving forward um, and just spread the word about what's happening, I think, you know, is really what we're hopeful for. Um, and I also wanted to mention um, we are a co-sponsor this year of the Heartwood Forest Council, which oh, okay. is a regional gathering of forest protectors mm -hmm. um, that happens every year. And this year it's going to be in western Pennsylvania with a focus on Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. So I strongly encourage people who are interested in protecting forests in this region to make it out there if they can, because I think it's going to be a really great event with a lot of really awesome people who are working on this issue um, and a lot of people from around the region who have actually won some of these battles in the past and know a lot about how to strategize. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, let us know what you thought in the comments and also let us know if you have any suggestions for other guests we can have on our podcast. Uh, be sure to give the video a like if you're watching on YouTube, and uh, consider joining our Patreon community. Again, you get lots of access to behind-the-scenes commentaries, bloopers, um, all sorts of weekly live streams and weekly updates and other fun stuff. It's, it's a party going on there, and uh, it's quite a, quite a bit of fun. But uh, either way, thank you so much for watching, thank you for your support, and have a nice day.